loose, I'm the master, causing you to do what you do. You want the puppet? I pull your string, I'm making moves, I'm the master, causing you to do what you do. You want the puppet? I pull your string, I'm making moves, I'm the master, causing you to do what you do. You want the puppet? I pull your string, I'm making moves, I'm the master, causing you to do what you do. You are listening to Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name is Adam. My name is Jeremy. We're here to talk about X-Men number 27, the December 1966 issue. Yeah, it's entitled, at least on the cover, Re-Enter the Mimic. And uh, on the cover we have the four... X-Men are hiding inside of an ice fortress that the Mimic has busted through. Mm-hmm. I have to say, this cover is... I like this cover a lot. There's a really good shading detail here. Uh, I don't know if that's actually represented in the Omnibus version, but I don't Not know. really, no. No? Okay. <laughs> well, well I, I guess so. Yeah, it is. I know what you're talking about. It's just... It, it's... Yeah. Since it's recolored, it might have uh, lost some of its luster. But in terms of some of the other covers, uh, this one feels a whole lot less thrown together than some of the other ones in the past. Hmm. I like it anyways. It it really strikes uh, a chord within me. The first thing I noticed was in the upper left-hand corner, the little square with the X-Men. Mm-hmm. They have slightly different costumes. Not only that, but on the cover, they also have slightly different costumes. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> uh, Marvel Girl has her little Wolverine cowl, or Batman cowl, I guess would be uh, age-appropriate at this point. Cyclops and Beast have red belts, and the Cyclops' visor is larger. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. And it's actually red. I think, is this the first time that we are getting a look at his red visor? I think it's been red in the past, like in that... that close-up detail that we got in one issue maybe okay and uh, marvel girl has no eyeballs but that's that's not really that abnormal and the costumes are a lot more vest-like instead of being like a full yellow uniform type thing a lot less yellow a lot more blue which harkens back to the the very first issue where the costumes were then i happened to be scanning the first issue and i was like no well, not scanning i'm not an illegal scanner <laughs> i happened to be flipping through the first issue adam were were you uploading the first episode or the first issue to the torrent sites <laughs> i i know <laughs> all right good uh, all right so uh we're re-entering the mimic and as we open up the first page it is indeed called Re-Enter the Mimic. And the Mimic, who's absorbed all of the X-Men's power, is standing in front of the four X-Men plus Professor Xavier, because as you'll remember, Angel is still knocked out with his wings all battered and stuff. And I can only assume that this is that wasted splash screen, and the next page will actually start the story. What do you think, Adam? I would have thought that as well, but I guess I guess we're both wrong, because mm-hmm. this is actually... The first splash page is the beginning of the story. Which happens to actually be the middle of the story. Very Pulp Fiction-y of Stanley, Or actually, <laughs> I'm sorry, of uh, Roy Thomas. Well, I don't know. This little yellow uh, word commentary here, it made me question who actually is writing these because it says, No, Marvelite, you haven't missed an ish. ish. Wondrous Werner just, started, just decided to start this way out yarn in the middle. 
So apparently the artist, Werner or Werner Roth, is the one who decided to start this in the middle, which... I think last week we talked a little bit about how some of the dialogue didn't really necessarily match the picture. Are you inferring that potentially the issues are drawn out before the words are added and it's up to uh, Roy Thomas to try to make a story out of whatever Werner's written or drawn? I don't know. I've always speculated that that was true. Because that, that would be an interesting way to go about the writing of the comic books. Going back to the Jack Kirby, Stan Lee days, I always felt like Jack Kirby was putting together something and Stan Lee was just writing the hell over it. <laughs> just, yeah, spewing words all over the place. Jack's like, come on, Stan, the art will speak for itself. No, you don't understand, son. Words, that's where it's at. <laughs> okay, so anyways, uh, the mimic, he's like, uh, oh, last time we fought, you beat me by trickery, but that's not going to happen this time. So he has obviously regained his memories, because as we know, he had a mind wipe. He's back and stronger than ever, Marvel Girl says. This issue is edited by Stan Lee, scripted by Roy Thomas, drawn by Werner Roth, inked by Dick Ayers, lettered by Sam Rosen, and in parentheses, would you believe Artie Simic? So the Mimic is standing there. The four X-Men minus Angel are ready to battle him, and the Professor is kind of egging them on, saying, you got to beat him. There's more at stake here than just your prestige. On the next page, the X-Men spring into battle, each one of them kind of doing what they do. Iceman makes his little slide. Uh, Cyclops kind of runs away, <laughs> and Beast jumps against a wall. <laughs> They're essentially attacking him from all sides, even though three of them are running to one side and Beast is running to the other side. Yeah, again, they're not really using teamwork. They're just kind of just, yeah, basically all attacking them uh, individually. So the Mimic, he makes a little ice pattern on the wall that Beast slips on. As what usually happens when they split up, he takes them out one by one. So Beast is uh, knocked into a wall. Marvel Girl tries to stop him, but isn't able to. She blames the fact that she's going to college on her inability to help Beast. These kids are so hard on themselves. I know. Lots of pressure. Homework, saving the world, whatever. Uh, Cyclops shoots at the Mimic, but uh, he was able to dodge because he has his Beast-like agility. And Cyclops says something most puzzling. He says, we must be subconsciously pulling our punches and not realizing it. Yeah, that's that's very odd. Uh, so he suspects that something's quite amiss because the X-Men are not performing as well as they normally would. I don't know. They seem to be performing pretty much <laughs> the same as usual to me. That's true. They couldn't beat the circus. What makes them think they could beat a guy that has all of their powers? They hear a mental call saying, Cease your struggling. The mimic comes as a friend, not as a foe. But Cyclops remembers... The, the Mimic tried to pull this technique last time, so he says, don't even listen to it, go after him. And the Mimic admits that it was him. He fires his optic blasts at Cyclops, who, who is able to dodge it, and uh, turns out that he was really aiming at the base of a statue, which knocks into Cyclops, knocking him out. Marvel Girl and Iceman are left. Yep, Mimic turns his attention to Marvel Girl and Iceman, and this is kind of a funny shot. Uh, in the third panel where uh, they go leaping into the air, and I'm not entirely sure why, but Iceman makes himself a little ice cane and hangs from a chandelier, and Marvel Girl is just floating for some reason. I guess this is their attack formation. 
You take the left, I'll take the right. I'll take the cane. <laughs> so Iceman starts pelting the mimic with hailstones, which he believes that the mimic cannot emulate because he doesn't have that technique. It was it's been practiced by Iceman for a very long time and therefore the mimic wouldn't know it. Yeah, he wouldn't have the uh, expertise. Marvel Girl, finally a little bit of t- team teamwork here. Marvel Girl uh, covers his head with another vase. So whatever room they're in just is, you know, <laughs> filled with vases. Uh, he's cover- his head's covered. This is what I didn't quite understand here. Earlier in panel, uh, the first panel of uh, page three, we see the mimic lift his glasses to shoot at Cyclops. Well, in the first panel here, he is just able to, without lifting his glasses, blast the vase off of his face. Well, much like Cyclops, he is able to either manipulate his glasses or not manipulate his glasses, and somehow his power is able to work. Yeah, but these are just stupid-looking sunglasses. At least at least with Cyclops' goggles, you could imagine that maybe there's a lever that's activated whenever he like raises his eyebrows or something, or you could use a little bit of imagination. But these are literally sunglasses. He's either firing through them or, uh, I don't know, it doesn't make any sense. Oh, take a drink. maybe when she put the kettle on top of his head it knocked his glasses off (laughs) ah adam ever the optimist sure okay (laughs) i'll buy that and as soon as it uh, blew off his head he was able to reposition his glasses on his head and then go in for the attack right he goes straight after iceman and iceman is able to drop to the ground and have marvel girl telekinetically kind of lower him so that he's safe the x-men talk about being teammates and how great it is the mimic uses a combination of beasts and angels powers to turn around mid-flight and come back and still kick the Iceman in midair which is pretty impressive go team go team mimic yeah yeah he's 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 a one-man team as he is he's uh, eager to brag about so he can use all of their abilities all at once He's got no choice but to use t- teamwork. Dude, are you Team Mimic or Team Iceman? I'm pretty much... I gotta be Team Mimic. I mean, that's that's smart money's on Team Mimic. Okay. Iceman's out for the count. Marvel Girl is left to kind of face off uh, against the Mimic. And it, it kind of looks like uh, the Mimic's going to overpower her. And the Professor chimes in and says, Hey, this was merely a test of strength. What does that mean, old man? Yeah, he's been kind of out of the battle and just watching, so now we learn that this whole thing was a test. Or so it would seem. He says don't harm Marvel Girl, but he already has harmed Cyclops, Iceman, and Beast. So I don't know. She's a girl, you know, she's you know, <laughs> yeah, just guess. looking out for her. I mean, remember early on in the you know early issues, Professor X did kind of profess some love of Marvel Girl, so you know... He's... I wonder if they just dropped that plotter. It's never going to come back. <laughs> I would be curious. We've got many more issues to find out, but so far since that issue, it has not resurfaced. But anyways, uh, uh, Mimic says, I'll never surrender as long as any of you are standing. So I don't know. Is he is he playing along with this so-called test, or is something else happening? It's a good question. Yeah, so he, sh- so he shoots um, Marvel Girl with Professor Xavier's telepathic bolts. Which slowly knocks her unconscious. In a somewhat nice pose, other than the goofy grin on his face, he 
He says, I am the most powerful, and I made him say uncle. Soon nobody will stop the mimic or something like that. So apparently he's going to take over the world now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At which point we cut back to what they call the beginning of the story, which has the, the X-Men returning after fighting Kukulkan. Kukulkan. <laughs> uh, Angel admits that he was delirious when he accused uh, Cyclops of blasting him on purpose. Everybody noticed that Scott's a little grim from what happened, the professor does, Beast Iceman. Now, Beast says something about, thank heaven that his mutant recuperative powers are coming to Warren's aid, comma, at any rate. Yeah, I noticed that. It makes it sound like all mutants have it. I want to kind of analyze that sentence a little bit more, but I think early on, and we would have to go back, and we're not going to do that, but I thought they alluded to mutants having a little bit more accelerated healing abilities. Yeah, I believe it was when Iceman was in the hospital. Yeah, the doctor said something about, oh, mutant physiology is so different and they heal a lot faster than we do or something like that. I guess that's that's a continuing thing that may or may not have any relevance in today's mutant world. I just want to analyze this sentence. Thank heaven that his mutant recuperative powers are coming to Warren's aid at any rate. Wow, that's a really poor, poorly constructed sentence. <laughs> Whose mutant power is coming to Warren's aid? Is it the professor's? <laughs> and why do we need to say at any rate? It's just I'm maybe I'm nitpicking a little bit too much, but that sentence I had to read that about four or five times to try to <laughs> understand the meaning. Like I understand that we're trying to get the fact that Warren's got like a little bit of accelerated healing power, but it was that last comma at any rate that just didn't make any sense. This is not a very grammatically sound sentence. And Beast is supposed to be the smart one. Thank heaven Warren's mutant recuperative powers are coming to Warren's aid. <laughs> you would never write like that. You would never talk like that. I'm with you, Jerry. All right, all right, all right, all right. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Take a drink. Okay, so Iceman, uh, he's the noble one and says that they'll have to hold off on calling Jean because they don't want to worry her because, you know, she might faint. <laughs> oh, not Warren. So the professor takes uh, Angel into his sanctum sanctorum, which is a fancy way of saying his office. <laughs> Angel's wing is really, it looks like, a, yeah, it definitely looks like a bird whose one wing has been broken or something. There's ruffled feathers all over the place. He does not look like he's in a good place. Warren looks up to uh, the professor and says, Give it to me straight, Doc. Will I ever be able to fly again? No, son, and you're not going to be able to play the piano either. <laughs> oh, wait. Now he says that, rest assured, uh, he will withhold nothing from Angel, so he doesn't know. Meanwhile, Cyclops <laughs> pouts in a corner or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's pouting at the door. Okay, he's not quite in the corner, but, you know, he's he's facing the door. His arms are kind of outstretched a little bit. He's looking at the ground. See, now, this is this actually makes sense. If all those times that Cyclops was using his power kind of, you know, to slice up cakes or open keyholes. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it just, and he was, like, super confident up until this point. It would have made sense. Right. And he would be, like, always using his powers to do this and that, and he'd be all cocky and stuff. And then he would have this moment where he accidentally blasts his friend, in which he starts to question everything, and he becomes Whiny Scott. That I would buy. But he's always been Whiny Scott, so. 
I don't know. At this point, if I'm Iceman and Beast, I'd be like, oh, here we go again. <laughs> Cyclops, no, you're, you're really good. You're good at what you do. You're really smart and handsome and people like you. And But you're right. He sits there and he sulks a little bit. I think he's looking for some sympathy. He's, again, not sure whether or not he blasted Warren on purpose, which is ridiculous. Right. We all saw it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and... Iceman says, oh, Psych must be going through torture, Hank. Can't we? No, Bobby. There are some things a man must face alone. I mean, what? Come on. Can't they spring out and be like, look, Cyclops, let's go have a beer. Well, I guess they're 17. Let's go have a soda pop. Let's go have a group hug in the closet. I mean, they don't even try to be like, oh, we still trust you. We know you didn't do that on purpose. We're a team and accidents happen and blah, 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 blah. They're just like, nope. Every man must cross a river sometimes. Well, even Angel has said, you know, don't blame yourself, Scott. It was my own fault. I'm just saying, I think Iceman and Beast are more interested in other things than their buddy Cyclops. Other boys? (laughs) Could be. So the professor comes out and says that uh, Angel will recover, but he has to stay in bed and get plenty of rest. Otherwise, he... He's sensitive. He's he's he may not be able to fully recover if he continues to do anything other than lie in bed. And while everybody was gone to San Rico, he had received a new warning of a mutant menace with Cerebro, possibly the greatest one they have ever encountered. Yet it comes when our fighting strength is at its lowest ebb. Yeah, with Jean Grey at college and Warren down. The X-Men are only three. And Cyclops self-doubting himself. They're really two and a half at this point. He wants to quit the team all the time he's talking about. This might be the straw that breaks the camel's back. Maybe he'll leave forever. We can only hope. We cut to college where Jean Grey is, um, I don't know, what does she do? look like she's doing in this panel? She's cheering, but... I don't know. She, she's She's very, she's in motion. Let's put it that way. <laughs> her body's She's going cheering. her body's going one way but her breasts are going the opposite way <laughs> it's very odd <laughs> but it's a, it's a humorous looking picture she's uh cheering ted roberts on he's in some sort of a track tournament and apparently he's the best at everything yeah he wins at track he wins at pole vaulting he wins at whatever that third sport is he's diving he's diving yeah but I want to say in the second panel where he's doing the pole vault, it looks like he's pole vaulting with his chin. <laughs> <laughs> but I know that there's some sort of shadow going on there that's kind of uh, making that an illusion, but it's a very silly-looking pose. So she begins to question him, why, why are you, uh, what's driving you? And he almost tells her about the secret of his older brother, Ralph, who he's always in the shadow of. But then there's an explosion. Kroom! That's the explosion. Jean Grey and Ted Roberts run to the laboratory where they discover two guys pulling Cal Rankin out of the the lab. Oh, no. And he's regained his memory. He remembers everything. He doesn't quite seem to remember Gene. At least that's not how I infer this. But he says that that blast, it brought back my memory. And that's not all. So I think he's remembering now that he has his uh, powers of mimicry. 
Um, and then Gene says, I don't know why, but I'm sure Cal's regained the, his mimicking powers. I can feel it. She's got good intuition. Yeah. And maybe some latent telepathy. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> oh, wait. Yeah, maybe. That could be. Uh, so then we switch to some guy, also known as the Puppet Master, who has been the pawn of others who have manipulated him into doing their bidding. But this time he's going to pull off a heist all of his own. Now, Adam, maybe you can help me out here. I don't know much about the Puppet Master other than what I've gleaned here. What's his deal? Um, or do you not know anything more than what is just told out in these pages? Yeah, I'm, I'm not a big, uh, I'm not too knowledgeable about the Puppet Master. He, uh, what we can gather is that he has this big vat of radioactive clay. What happens when he runs out of radioactive clay? <laughs> then he just becomes the 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 normal master. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the I mean I guess we're saying that there's a fine he doesn't have any superpowers. He just has uh this he found a big batch of clay somewhere that was radioactive and it's a finite amount and for some reason he hates the Fantastic 4. Well, how is he going to run out of clay? I mean, it's it would it's not going anywhere. I suppose you 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 make a guy and when the guy doesn't work out, you throw him back in the vat of clay. I guess you're right. You could yeah. use. You could, well, I mean, it's going to get hair in it and dirt. <laughs> yeah, but look at the vat. I mean, it's huge. Think about Play-Doh after a while. It dries out and, you know, gets nasty and you throw it away. It's probably got some sort of method of making sure that it doesn't, but okay. I don't know. All right. Maybe that's his power is to make the clay <laughs> stay clay. <laughs> I have the ability to make material stay the same material. <laughs> yes, he's he's uh his modern day moniker is Stay Clay. Stay Clay. So he is he's making a puppet and he's ooh those dirty dirty Fantastic Four. I'll get them once again. And so he carves out Professor X, whose name he does not know, but he he knows how to carve him because he did it before in issue twenty eight of the Fantastic Four, as you may recall, as we did. On this very podcast. Episode 5 or episode 6, one of those episodes. Yes. Go back, listener. If you haven't heard it, it's not really important to this story. <laughs> but it is referenced. Uh, he knows that this is the secret leader of the powerful X-Men. And I guess his plot is to... His initial idea is that once again he'll take control of the secret leader and manipulate the X-Men into fighting the Fantastic Four. Which, I thought he knew the name of the professor. I thought they called him Professor X in Fantastic Four 28. I don't remember. The, who was the, it was the, the mad thinker or the brilliant thinker or the, what was, who was the? Yeah, the mad thinker. The mad thinker. He, he uh, said, I don't know who the leader of the X-Men is, but I have an impression. And he kind of described Professor X until the puppet master was able to make him. I don't know if they ever actually called him out by name. I could swear they did. But... I mean, they probably did. It's... Oh, wait, turn the page and he says, for he who controls the mysterious Professor X controls the X-Men. Oh. So they, he does know his name. Well, he doesn't know that he's Professor Charles Xavier of 1747 Gray Malkin Lane. All right, fair enough. So that's <laughs> what he means. I don't know how to mail him a letter, but I know what he looks like and I know what his name is. Well, part of his name anyways. <laughs> All right, so... He he is about to take control of it, but it's it fights back. There's feedback. He can't he can't hold the mental 
grasp of the professor. And so he smushes his clay. Or the clay smushes itself, maybe. <laughs> and as we can see in the fourth panel, the professor is apparently working on a car. <laughs> I don't know. It looks like he's underneath the car with grease stains on his forehead, and there's a tire above there that he's changing or something. But I would have to imagine that this is a cerebro intensifier or something. He says, for a shadow of a second, some outside force tried to possess my brain. Mm -hmm. There is no time to dwell on that now. Yeah, I better just ignore that uh, immense thing that just happened to my brain, even though it was just a split <laughs> second. It's probably not important. So they they go on, and the professor talks a little bit here about teamwork because all of the X-Men are chipping in to help the professor build this thing. Yes, and the uh, concept of teamwork is very important to the X-Men. Except when they're fighting bad guys. It should be important to them when they're fighting bad guys. All right, so uh, they have built, with teamwork, a um, multi-frequency booster. It's the latest adjunct to Cerebro. Any new mutant menace can be pinpointed. He's been particularly looking for the mutant menace that he was talking about before. Bobby, sir, Iceman says, oh, that's looking for trouble, and Professor agrees, but he wants to make sure that they're keeping tabs on evil mutants. It's been some time since we last discovered a mutant threat, and now I think I know why. Why, Professor? Can you tell us? And he says, not yet, Cyclops. <laughs> not until I have proof positive. I don't know. Talk about putting some bait out there and pulling it, pulling it right away, you know? Well, you know, it's for the benefit of the audience. There's a conspiracy going on, and it's exciting. I don't even know if we find out what this mutant threat is by the end of this issue. I believe we don't. Yeah, and so, I don't know. For me, it's like, all right, well, now I've forgotten what it is. These words <laughs> lose all meaning to me by the time I get to the last page because I've forgotten them. The professor goes into his uh, – well, the professor sends everybody on vacation or, or like <laughs> a, f a few hours to do whatever they want. Yeah, but – now, before, I mean, he does that. He sends uh, all the X-Men on vacation. But he also says uh, in his thought balloon here, because he was in his lab coat and work clothes, whatever, he says, I am now appropriately attired for travel, and that is exactly what I intend to do in my astral body. Why is that there? Why would the professor need to get dressed to project himself into the astral plane? Wouldn't he be able to astrally project him as whatever? He can astrally project himself running. Couldn't he astrally project himself as uh, 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 with different clothes, as a different man, as a woman, as a dog? Maybe it's just a personal preference. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Take a drink. <laughs> this, is, this lends more credibility to the artist actually d directing the story and not the writer. I'm guessing that this panel was drawn before the words were written, and uh, uh, who's the guy that writes it? Roy Thomas. Roy Thomas looked at this, and he's like, well, how am I going to make the transition from the lab to the astral plane? I know. Oh, now that I'm appropriately attired for travel, I'm going to do it. Well, all he had to do was say, sometime later. Look, I'm with you. I just <laughs> have a big problem with him having to change into different clothes so he can project the image of those clothes in his astral form. That's all. Uh, the professor's a classy guy. He he wants, if his body is going to be found, he wants to make sure that it's well-dressed. Okay, fine. Okay, I buy that. So so he has like an aneurysm while he's in the astral plane and his body falls over. He's all like bloody and whatever. He doesn't want to be in his pajamas or something. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. All right. 
So uh, as he does, and I like this, and I think you've commented on this too, uh, He, whenever he's in his astral form, he is running like mad with gigantic strides. Yeah. Full use of his legs. Mm-hmm. I think that's... I think that's just really good attention to detail that they have, that they're like, okay, every time we're going to show him in the astral plane, he's going to be running like a bat out of hell. Yep. So anyways, he does. He travels all the way to some remote island or some small valley or something in Central Europe where Quicksilver and, what's her name, Scarlet Witch, are hanging out, practicing their abilities. They must have lost their powers or something because Quicksilver's like, oh, my control is much better. It's unfaltering. And she says, and my own powers are no less restored, but she's controlling a hawk or something? Yeah, it looks like. Did she lose her hex and gain hawk control? I don't know. Mm. Tune into the Avengers to find out. Yeah, go find the Avengers podcast and and email us and tell us what's going on here because we're not going to look it up. So the professor offers he he offers a position as an X man or woman <laughs> to yeah. the two of them to join uh, the team, and they decline on the based on the fact that they are now full fledged members of the Avengers, although they say. They would. It would have once been their fondest desire to have joined the X Men. And Wanda thinks to herself, "I wonder, did we make the right choice?" Yeah, a little bit of drama there. I have one little problem with editor Stan's blurb here. Uh, we get a star that says, "The X Men. Well, I do remember our epic battles with them when we were the unwilling tools of Magneto and his vile brotherhood." Asterisk. Asterisk. As seen in X Men number four and about a zillion issues thereafter. No. It was like four. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it wasn't a zillion. It was four. <laughs> there were four more issues, which was a lot for the first ten issues, featuring the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. I think that was a reference to the fact that people complained like it was a lot of issues. Or maybe maybe Stan is just pissed to this day that Jack Kirby kept drawing the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Yeah. I want to stop writing about them. No, this is where it's at, Stan. These guys are awesome. These guys are money in the bank. So we go to the, uh, I don't know, probably Greenwich Village because it's Iceman and Beast with their dates. Yeah, every time Iceman and Beast get some time off, they hook up with their prospective girlfriends. Their time with them always gets cut short. Yeah, you gotta you gotta wonder like what do these girls see in these guys? Because they're like, hey, I'm really happy to see you. Oh, gotta go now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wonder are these girls waiting by the phone and then they get a phone call and they're like, hey, we can go out now. <laughs> oh well, that's great. Let's do it. I mean, he, they, these guys are worse, um, a zillion times worse than Peter Parker ever was to Gwen Stacy or any of those girls. At least he spent a couple of pages with them before he bolted off as Spider-Man. They do a little bit of bickering back and forth, Zelda and Iceman and Beast and uh, Vera, is that who? Vera, yep. And then they hear the sound of a robbery. Uh, which is apparently clang. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that's the sound of a robbery, but hey. So Beast and the Iceman, they're like, well, you know, we're, we're X-Men, we're heroes. We're kind of bound by the hero's code or whatever. So they 
jump into an alleyway, change into their X-Men togs. Luckily, their girlfriends run off to go see what's going on with the robbery, so they, they don't have to make up an excuse this time. What's interesting to note is that they're wearing their old costumes and not whatever new costumes we saw in the very first pages. Oh, my. Uh, costume in continuity, or will something else be revealed? Hmm. I wonder. <laughs> uh, they run into Spider-Man, speaking of the devil, who is taking a picture of the two robbers with his little spider flashlight symbol thing. Does Spider-Man still use that thing? I don't think so. <laughs> okay. I don't even know what it is. Oh, uh, I started, actually I've read like the first 20 or so Amazing Spider-Mans, and in order to help spread the word of uh, how good Spider-Man is, he, or actually to strike fear in the hearts of villains, he would he has this little um, spider belt clip that he can push, and it casts the spider logo onto the wall, and so villains are supposed to be like, oh no, Spider-Man's here, now we're in trouble. But then he can take a picture of it, and it'd be like, oh, Spider-Man caught the villain. So then J. Jonah Jameson would settle down a little bit. Okay. I don't think he still uses that anymore because uh, today, in today's continuity, he is no longer working for the Daily Bugle. I think the Daily Bugle's gone. Mm. That's because print media is dead. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and I know that in Todd McFarlane's run, he never used this flashlight. Okay. <laughs> Iceman and the Beast uh, approach Spider-Man and say, hey, you want to join the X-Men? Well, first they get a, a call to, from Professor X saying, hey, you guys should ask Spider-Man to join. Right. And so they do. And Spider-Man says, no way, man. Yeah, he, he says that he was just in Rush Week with the Avengers in Spidey Special Number 3. So... Evidently, the Avengers approached him, or he approached the Avengers. I know at one point he was trying to get a job with the Fantastic Four, but they said no. Right. So, I don't know. He says, no way, I'm out of here. Then he thinks to himself, it'd be great to team up with a group my own age, but fate seems to have me meant to be a loner. Yeah, he's he's almost as bad as Cyclops here in this panel. <laughs> he swings away. He's actually kind of a jerk to uh, Iceman and the Beast. I I feel like his like Roy Thomas just doesn't have a handle on Spider Man because his quips weren't that funny, mm -mm. Mm -mm. and he just came off like a jerk, like he said. Uh, with nothing accomplished there, Beast and the Iceman change back into their street togs and meet up with their dates. Then we cut to the next afternoon, where the four X Men minus Angel and including Professor X go to pick Jean Grey up from the college. Cal Rankin is up in his room, and he's looking down, and he sees them coming. So he actually must have recognized Jean Grey because he's like, oh, they're all here now except for Angel. But that's okay. I can mimic almost all their powers, and we'll be all right. Beast notices that Jean Grey is carrying a special package, which she tells Beast is a surprise. Oh, yeah. I'll show it to you when I get to the school, and not a minute sooner, Beast. But where's Professor and Warren and Scott? Oh, they're over there, except for Warren. But don't worry about Warren, he's all right. <laughs> they were going to also try to recruit Johnny Storm, but it turns out that he's somewhere else. He hasn't returned to college anytime soon. Jean Grey notes that the professor is very dour and didn't even say hello to her. She's feeling the sting, she's feeling ostracized a little bit. 
Just when uh, somebody from behind the team says, mind if I ride along, prof? Everybody turns around and it's Cal Rankin, the mimic, who refers to himself as Cal Rankin, the mimic. <laughs> just me, X-Men, Cal, Ripken, or Cal Rankin, the mimic. Did you just say Cal Ripken? I did say Cal Ripken, but I tried to, <laughs> I tried to correct it. Cal Rankin, the mimic. Cal Ripken, I'm going to play really good baseball one day. <laughs> so Cal Rankin asks... He kind of asks, he kind of tells them that he wants to go back to their mansion for some reason. So he he puts on some ruby red sunglasses, which, again, I think this is really the first prominence of red protecting the, uh, the powers here of Cyclops. Uh, and he feels his hands go cold and his feet grow large. And presumably he gains Professor X's and Jean Grey's powers, too. So then we flash to the puppet master who's sitting in front of a computer terminal. And i got to be honest, when I first looked at this uh, panel, I thought that the Fantastic Four were just dead laying around him. <laughs> but these are puppets, right? Yeah, they're giant puppets. Oh, they're giant puppets. I'm like, is, this, is there a perspective issue here? Because if he made these out of clay, then he used up all of his clay. <laughs> no, these are full-size puppets. I think before the clay, he used to just make big size puppets what do you think he does with them do you think he sets them up in various poses it looks like it i mean from the pose that they're standing in now oh things feeling a little bit randy oh here comes mr fantastic to help thing out oh yeah. johnny storm wants to watch <laughs> don't look sue storm this is not for you <laughs> do you think that's what he does Yes. Okay. <laughs> so after he gets done playing with his dolls, he returns his attention to apparently uh, the hacked-in uh, closed-caption television circuit that he has installed on campus because he can see what's happening on campus. It's some sort of scanner, and he turned it on Metro College because he was lo he was trying to locate the torch. Mm -hmm. And uh, just so turns out that the X-Men are there and also Cal Rankin, the mimic who he is particularly interested in as he immediately realizes that he has all of the X-Men's powers. But he doesn't actually have the same psychic shields that the professor does because he's not as learned as the professor. Right. So the uh, X-Men take Mimic back to the mansion, and as soon as Mimic enters the mansion, his wings burst out of his shirt. Well, Angel's wings, I guess, because he's mimicking the power. And he says, uh, I, I have all the abilities of all the X-Men, but you know what? This time things are going to be different because I'm going to keep them for good. What the hell does that mean? I don't know. I don't know how he's going to do that. Jean Grey reveals to the X-Men that she has created new costumes for them, and that's what was in the package. And are they nice? Yeah. Well, they're better. It looks like, as we saw on the cover, uh, everybody has a new red belt. Uh, Iceman's kind of disappointed that his belt gets iced over. They're the, there's less yellow on the costumes. I still don't like them. I've never really liked the early X-Men costumes. I think they're kind of boring. They're more or less the same. They're not that different. Yeah, there's just a little less yellow. They're more vest-like than, uh, I don't know what you would call the old ones. but The only real improvement is Jean's Wolverine costume. Yes, I do like that. That is a significant improvement in her costume. So they get changed, and uh, the professor, he comes uh, toddling in, followed by the mimic, who has also changed into his little mimic costume. 
he reveals to the X-Men that earlier he was talking to Cyclops and Cyclops wants to step down as the deputy deputy leader of the X-Men because of his uh, confidence issues that he's having with the whole angel debacle. And the new leader of the X-Men is going to be Cal Rankin, the mimic. Yeah, that sounds like a perfectly logical, reasonable, and well-thought-out decision. Xavier told me of an impending mutant menace, and he knows that they may need my composite powers. And he knows that I'd never take orders from anybody. <laughs> okay, so because he's difficult to work with, they're going to put him in charge. That's that's the plan? Yeah. Okay, all right, whatever. If I'm the professor, I have to real. I have to somehow imagine that my X-Men that have fought him once and and have been double-crossed uh, in the past by people who say they're going to be on the team but aren't really on the team, are they going to really follow Mimic into battle? He better hope so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, my guess here is the professor all mind wipes the X-Men into. Oh yeah, Cal Ramkin. He's a he's a stand-up guy. We better follow him. I don't know why the professor just doesn't mind wipe Cal Rankin. So apparently the puppet master has a video camera in the X mansion, even though he doesn't know where it is or who Professor X is. Well, he followed them back. But he's he's watching them on a video screen, which indicates he's got a monitor or, I mean, a video camera somewhere. He's got one of those little flying video cameras. <laughs> like a little orb from Star Wars that flies around? Yeah. yeah. You know, no, he doesn't. It flies around. It's been following them. Well, that's the only explanation, Jeremy. And none of the X-Men see this thing that's sitting right in front of them, that's looking right at Cal Rankin, who's the mimic, videotaping him? Angel would have seen it following them, but he he's not there. <laughs> no. I don't know. <laughs> All right. I don't like it. But anyways, the puppet master decides that now is the time for the domination of Mimic. So he exerts whatever radioactive exertion he can exert. (laughs) And uh, the Mimic falls under his power. And that's when we cut to the beginning of this issue, which was the middle of the issue. Yes. So then we flip to uh, the third act. Professor tells Cal that he was he's in the grip the mental grip of another and he must try to fight back but Cal Ripkin Cal Rankin Cal Rankin Now <laughs> <laughs> I did it. Oh no. It's very easy to uh, do. Let's just call him the mimic. Okay. The mimic he's like no, I'm nobody's stooge and then he he goes out for a breath of air. Yes. And uh, the X-Men, uh, the four X-Men minus Angel uh recuperate and get back up and um, uh, this is where the professor admits that he was mentally holding them back, just as Cyclops had suspected much earlier in the issue, if you'll recall. What doesn't make sense to me is that in the beginning, the professor seemed to be teamed up with, and it seemed to be like an exercise. Yes. Uh, the professor was teamed up with the Mimic, and it turns out that that's not true at all. The Mimic was under the sway of Puppet Master. Well, if you go back to page 13 and you look at the fourth panel, the professor says, First, Cal, I think it would be wise if we spent some time practicing with Mimic? What is it? What's wrong? I don't know. I feel strange. Suddenly I could feel somebody who took control of him. So the original intention was that the professor and Cal Rankin would kind of work in tandem to test everybody's abilities. Uh, but then 
everybody realized that he was under somebody else's control. So you're right. That makes the first page make no sense. Oh, well. Take a drink. So anyways, the uh, um, they, everybody figures out that it must be the puppet master who's behind this whole dastardly plot. And he's he's traced his radioactive brainwaves to a location not far away. So in addition to radioactive clay, he's got radioactive brainwaves. Yeah, all that radiation, you know, it gets to your brainwaves at some point. Or maybe he, maybe his origin has something to do with radioactivity and he was like hanging out with a big pot of clay and they all got radioized together. His ambitions to take over the world melded with the clay's ambition to be sentient. And then then radioactive sludge made it happen. I like it. (laughs) Okay. So the X-Men get into the X-Copter to go stop the Mimic. And, you know, this is this is kind of where the story falls apart because in order for the Mimic to retain his power, he has to stay by the X-Men, and he's gone off, and the X-Men decide to go follow him. If the X-Men just got in the X-Copter and just flew somewhere else, Cal Rank is not much of a threat anymore. But they want to find him. I guess. This time, the professor has decided to let somebody else drive the X-Copter as he is staying back in the mansion, so that's kind of a first. Well, it's a good idea, because that way Cal Rankin doesn't have his power. Oh, well, okay. That means that so somebody, one of the X-Men, knows how to fly a helicopter. That's pretty cool. It's probably Beast or Cyclops. Or maybe Professor X is piloting it via telekinesis. No, telepathy. Yeah, he's he's mental. I'm controlling the helicopter with my mental waves. Yeah, mimic. He's he's running away or something. They the X Men figured the mimic went to team up with Puppet Master, but in fact, the mimic stayed behind and is now following the X Men. He needs to stay close to them in order to keep his powers. So he follows them. Doesn't even know where they're going. The Mimic is able to retain everybody's power, uh, except for Angel, who gets up out of bed and says, I gotta help him, I gotta, I can't fly, but I can drive my Mustang. And so he follows the X-Copter with his car. The professor tries to stop him. Yeah, it's kind of a half-hearted, like, no, stop. Eh, he's pretty brave, He'll, he's all right. <laughs> We've occasionally thought of Warren as frivolous, perhaps an overindulged only son. Yet now I see that he is perhaps the bravest X-Men of all. Yeah, I don't know about that. So the X-Copter lands. The X-Men go after the Mimic, who has... What is going on in this panel? Uh, The Puppet Master is standing in front of his tiny little Cal Ripken statue. Oh! Puppet that he made. Okay, because I, as I first looked at this, I'm like, why Cal Rankin is standing in front of the Puppet Master, and... Puppet Master is like 90 feet tall, and then the Cal Rankin is like six inches tall. But that makes more sense. He's a puppet. Okay. <laughs> oh, look, I read this issue like three times now, and, and you explaining that finally made it sink in. Somebody else out there looking at this panel is equally confused as I am. was. Not anymore. Not anymore. Thank God. Glad I could be there for you guys. Thanks, buddy. The X-Men are working their way through the Puppet Master's labyrinth or whatever it is and he sends his version of the mad thinger's android after them didn't he steal the android or something i don't remember who stole it i think the mad thinker stole it from fantastic from from mr fantastic 
he says, I shall activate a puppet I devised after meeting the mad thinker. So this, oh, okay. this android is just a puppet. I didn't think it was Ringo Starr, says Iceman. Yeah, in a very humorous line. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. Cyclops blasts the android, but then we learn that it's absorbing his eye beams like some sort of super sponge. Oh no, it's hurtling it back. Beast goes after it, but he bounces off. He says it's it feels just like colliding with a concrete trampoline. Which makes no sense. Iceman freezes the guy, which is pretty dumb because, as we already know, he absorbs their powers and spits them back. Spits a whole bunch of these little ice balls. Finally, Cyclops has had enough, and he just says, all right, I'm blasting the floor underneath this guy. It's my old favorite. It works. Yeah, it's a good one. I I don't know why I didn't just do that right from the get-go. I mean, they take this guy out in, in like, seven panels. This whole issue speeds up at this point, uh, so they go past the hole that they blasted in the floor, at which point they find the puppet master who is holding up the puppet of the mimic. And then the, the real mimic shows up uh, under mental control, and he's going to finish the job he started defeating the X-Men. Cyclops notices that he has uh, he still has Warren's wing. He doesn't understand how he possibly could. How can that be? That's when we cut to outside, and we see that Warren is right outside, walking in. Clutching his arm, and you can still see his wing is all frayed and goofed up and stuff. And he's worried that, oh my gosh, it might be too late. I hope I didn't let him down. <laughs> <laughs> the Mimic attempts to fight back the Puppet Master's control long enough so that the Angel is able to sneak in, grab the puppet, and... Squish it? Crumple the doll. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's his master plan. And I don't know if the puppet master is really small, but if you look at that third panel, <laughs> it looks like Angel's about eight feet tall and the puppet master's about four feet tall. He's a little guy. Yeah, okay. I don't know what his his real perspectives are, but it, it looks kind of it's a goofy looking panel. Yeah, his master plan is just to sneak up and and capture the doll. And it's like, why can't this work for all of the X Men battles? <laughs> But anyways, uh, so once he crumples up the doll, he collapses to the ground for some reason because the puppet master offered no resistance. Nobody shot him with anything or punched him, but apparently the strain of sneaking up and squishing a doll was just too much for him, so he collapses. He collapses, but he turns out he's okay because in the very next panel he says, yes, I'm fine now. <laughs> Don't speak, rest. And then Mimic says, oh, I'm awake. I feel like a, a nightmare that I just was in that was gonna make me a murderer and the one who saved me was the angel as if that's like "Ooh, i never liked that angel we were he was my nemesis but he <laughs> saved me the irony is just too much to take doesn't make any sense puppet master manages to escape while the x-men are gathered around angel and beast notices that the mimic is posing <laughs> yes like a he-man doll yeah. <laughs> and he's he acts like, like a man condemned. And then the mimic thinks to himself, condemned? Yes, I am condemned. I'm sentenced forever to live only in the shadow of other men's powers, other men's abilities. Nothing is truly mine. Is there any true home on earth, in the universe, for the being that men call the mimic? So, anyways, that's the end of this issue. Like I said, yeah, that's the end. It uh, it ends it, it ends as a is it ends as 
abruptly as it started. Yeah, the last two pages really cook. <laughs> yeah, the rest of it's a, a little bit of a drag. Actually, it wasn't that bad of an issue, i got to say, all things considered. I enjoyed it. Yeah. I was, I was down with it. The next issue, we are promised that we will hear the wail of the Banshee? Hmm. Hmm. That sounds like a reasonably important character. Could be. <laughs> but apparently it is uh, a titanic tale of one of the most mind-shattering mutant menaces of all. Oh, perhaps this is the mutant menace that they're going to look for with their pinpoint accurate Cerebro. Oh, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> See, it's a good thing I reminded you. <laughs> we, we, got, we got some mail from a listener. Our, our very first letter from a listener. We got mail? Uh, email? A user, a Brig, uh, commented on the Danger Room uh, webpage, the, the episode 26, the Power and the Pendant episode featuring El Tigre. He says, hey, guys, just want to leave a comment. Just found you a f- few weeks ago and have just caught up. Keep up the great work. I love the geeky Cyclops voice. It has me in stitches every time. So that's that's right to you, Jeremy. You're the uh, inventor, and I don't know, man. I think we each have our own geeky Cyclops rendition, uh, and they're, they're. Oh, I think he's referring to yours, though. Yours is much better than mine. Oh, go on, you go on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he also writes on the iTunes page. So thank you, Brig. He writes on the web page, and he writes on the iTunes. And then. Um, J. Conrad 77 also on the iTunes. Thank you, everybody who's writing in, who's rating us highly on the iTunes. Uh, I would encourage more uh, feedback on the uh, webpage, which is www.redcatproductions.com forward slash danger room, uh, or type in danger room within iTunes to subscribe to the podcast, and you can leave comments there. Or you can go to www.facebook.com forward slash danger room podcast, and you can follow us on Twitter at Danger Room Go. And you could email us at dangerroom at redcatproductions.com. Any one of those. Ask us a question. We'll answer it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or give us some feedback on what we asked. That's actually what we should start um, maybe implementing here is because, especially with this issue, we're kind of branching out into more arms of the Marvel Universe. And uh, like I said, you know, this whole Android thing and the backstory of why the mad mad mutant puppet maker hates the fantastic four and how he got his clay if you know that stuff mutant puppet maker (laughs) whatever puppet master you know what i'm saying (laughs) uh if you know the answers to those questions shoot them our way and uh you know if it's if it's entertaining and pertinent we'll we'll uh we'll we'll catch everybody else up on uh, on the backstory that we missed out on indeed and if we get a fact wrong i mean we're nitpicking this comic book so if we nitpick Something incorrectly within Marvel continuity as we're speculating about future or past issues. Let us know. Give us a correction. Yeah, we'll take any email. We're we're very thankful that there are people out there listening to us. And if you are one of those people, you should tell your friends, uh, tell your enemies, tell your loved ones. You should congratulate yourself. Christmas is coming up, so you should uh, give them the gift of a podcast. Yes. I don't know how you would do that, but do it. Give them a free subscription to our podcast. <laughs> all right then um yeah next issue uh screaming a banshee Did, uh, any other comments on this issue nope oh. fun time i liked it 
curious to see what the deal with the mimic is. Yeah, man. After that whole cool, cool can thing, anything is kind of a relief. That was a struggle to get through that two parter. This was a this was a breeze in comparison, and uh, I'm looking forward to the next few issues. And and this may be the last time I get to say it, but Kukukan. Kukukan. No, he'll be back. I just know it. I feel it. Natch. <laughs> He's the second arch nemesis right below Magneto. Oh, oh yes, yes. <laughs> so, uh, okay, well, anyways, uh, until next time, the danger room is closed. The images that mark what is an unforgettable career, an unforgettable era of Cal Ripley Jr. It's been an honor and privilege to play in front of you for all these years, and I look forward to the last six weeks of the season. Thanks very much for your support.